Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. The Cardinals are 61 and 56 on pace to win 84 games, which is a bigger number of on pace wins than we've uh, been able to say for a few weeks now. Uh, ben, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you've had a quite a whirlwind tour of Major League Baseball uh, over the last four or five days. So uh, I'm a little jealous. Um, I wanted to ask you, how humid was it in the bleachers for the Field of Dreams game? Uh, as a oh. former corn detasseler, whose mother, also a former corn detasseler, texted him during the game worried about how humid it might be for the Major League Baseball players. It's, a, it's uh, an excellent question. Go ahead. So how, how humid was it? Uh, it was not unhumid, I will tell you that. But, uh, you know, the, the sun was on its way down by the time the game started. And so it wasn't too bad. Uh, the other thing that we were a little concerned about were the bugs as well. Because, as you know, if you're like really out there in the corn and honestly, there were almost no bugs. So I'm assuming that Major League Baseball sprayed all the corn and crops in maybe a two, three mile area with some sort of like Vietnam era uh, you know, bug repellent, uh, cause it was, uh, not too bad. <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know, that's the, the, uh, the poison that's in our water now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it's exactly. now made you its way downstream right now, but yes, way, we're, we're drinking it right now. Dream of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but no, you, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, for, for people not familiar, and I saw a little bit of this on Twitter where people were like, what are you talking about, the humidity? If you are in a cornfield, it is very, it is oppressively humid, like yeah. much more so than in the middle of the road next to the cornfield. And so uh, I was, uh, and my mom was kind of interested in what that humidity would be like. Um, but you saw a wonderful game. Uh, can you just kind of walk us through some of the high points of the whole experience? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. And and so I, I posted some pictures and things on Twitter, and people have asked about it. People want to know if I, you know, dropped two thousand dollars for a ticket and everything. <laughs> um, I did not actually. Um, a, a very good friend of mine uh, who I grew up with, uh, friends with since elementary school, and, and everything. He uh, he works in New York in, in marketing and uh, uh, Fox Sports is one of the clients of his company there. And so he was back around uh, kind of, well, kind of for the game, kind of not. But um, he kind of through his connections was able to get us a couple tickets at really the last minute. It was the day before that he was able to secure some tickets. So it was it was didn't know I was going to be able to go, but then it was very exciting. So um, so I drove up and, you know, he and I kind of drove in. Um, it was uh you know, they for anyone who's been to the Field of Dreams previously, um, I mean, the amount of infrastructure that's been built up around it is pretty, pretty stunning. So there's you come in and there's an enormous uh, parking lot across the street now um, that they've, they've put in uh, just, you know, grass and and like uh, uh, just kind of a little bit of a, a what, what do you call it, like mulch, basically, to drive on. Um, but you, so you, anyway, you could you could park there. You went in. Around the original field, they had. Um, there's actually a permanent barn there. That's a baseballism shop. Did you know about this? Um, I think that's I been there not. for a while. Um, but um, and then they had you know other merch kind of things set up. They had the the, the weird Guy Fieri apple pie hot dog uh, thing that they they were giving away for free. So when you walked in, you could just walk up and get one of those. Which 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 well, I did. How was I it? Ate them. 
Um, it, I feel like what it did was it stimulated or short circuited all of my taste sensors at once, leaving me unable to deem it either good or bad. It was just kind of a, it was an assault. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like, you know, it felt like an assault. So, um, I, I ate the whole thing because it was free and that's just kind of how I roll. But, uh, when I, when I threw my little basket, it came in, in the trash, there were, there were many half eaten and and one bite eaten uh, apple pie, hot dog things in there. But, um, but yeah, then you, you just kind of, uh, we all kind of made our way through over to where the field was. And honestly, just the production values of the whole thing were really incredible, which it sounds like a lot of people could kind of see on TV, but being there too. So to get to the field, you had to walk through the original field and actually walk through the corn of the outfield. And then you kind of, as you pass through the corn, you were on a, a path that sort of led you the rest of the way to the, you know, to the field that they built there. Um, and it, you know, just really, it was really nice. Just a lot of great, you know, details on it and everything. And, um, you know, that introduction with, uh, Kevin Costner coming out and then the players coming out. Um, I have to tell you in person, the amount of time that Kevin Costner just kind of wandered around on the field was extremely weird. And <laughs> we were all like a little uncomfortable, like <laughs> what's happening now. Um, but I did watch the, the video of it later, it played a little better on TV. And then all the players coming in through the corn was, was really cool. Um, and, uh, and everything. And so, you know, they, they hit those little moments. And then, as you said, it was, it was an incredible baseball game. I mean, my friend Eddie and I were talking about this and we were like, you know, even absent the field of dreams aesthetics, I mean, it was one of the very best baseball games we'd ever seen, you know, seven, four in the ninth and the Yankees hit two, two run home runs to take the lead. And then you get a walk-off home run, um, you know, from the White Sox. It, it was, you know, it was really a fantastic game and, and uh, a heck of a lot of fun. So yes, that was a, a real high point of my, uh, of my week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, so, so Ben, uh, I know you were unable to go to the game. I wish you could have gone. I wish more than 8,000 people could have been there. Um, but uh, what did you learn this past week? Um, I learned that the experiment with the soft-tossing lefties who engaged the defense uh, probably has more legs to it than a lot of commenters thought it might. Uh, at the time of the trade deadline. And we've talked about this, and I kind of jokingly framed it. I want to see if the fly balls find gloves or the wall or the bleachers. Um, And Lester early uh, wasn't looking very good, but even one of his bad starts, it was a lot of singles. Um, And the type of game... You know, from those of us old enough to remember the Duncan era, <laughs> you know, you would have games like that. You know, Jason Marquis yeah. would have a game like that. And and you can go down yeah. the line where, you know, sometimes the singles are hit a little bit harder and they find holes. And right now, uh, Jay Happ, who would have been at the time the trade was made, I felt pretty good about that. Lester less so. Um, but Hap really turned in like a vintage, you know, 1996 or maybe even earlier, maybe even like a Tewksbury type <laughs> performance where yeah. uh, not a lot of K's, just pitching, totally pitching to contact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the defense is there and, and uh, to pick him up. And uh, with the way that they have infused the rotation with these players, uh, you know, it, and with 
the team largely healthy. I know Carlson is injured. He's a good defender. I don't know how much you lose with Newt Bar out there over Carlson. Um, I don't think that much. And no. so, you know, sort of the the foundational premise of this team is really there kind of for the first time all yeah. season, really, the last couple yeah. of weeks. Uh, and that's just having solid pitching and very good defense, and hopefully they hit enough. And over the last you know, seven days, they have certainly hit enough, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting to see what I believe the Cardinals front office envisioned this team being like for the first time in mid August. And, you know, it looks like a competitive team and they might make things interesting, you know, here down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, just kind of what's going on with those pitch to contact lefties. I, I happened to look it up earlier this evening and um, you know, in terms of park effects, Bush stadium uh, ranks uh, 25th currently. So it's in the bottom or 26 It's the bottom five in terms of park effects. And actually in terms of weighted on base on contact, it ranks last. So contact at Bush stadium is the least likely to generate, uh, you know, runs than anywhere else in baseball. So, you know, if you accept that truth, uh, bringing in some guys whose whose uh, Achilles heel is they give up contact, you know, is a smart move because that contact is going to hurt you less playing 81 games at Bush, you know, than it's going to hurt you someone else, especially when the, the pitchers who do that are, you know, real kind of, uh, you know, dumpster dive type guys um, who you can find and who they have found. So, um, no, I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, in terms of what I learned this week and, and I already kind of touched on the field of dream games, but dreams game. But for me, this last week, I just had a great week. And, and I one thing that I took away from it is that, you know, even in a season that might be kind of a, a lost season or a season where we don't see playoff baseball, although, as you mentioned, they're they're making it interesting. So who knows? Maybe that's not even the case. Um Baseball is still great <laughs> and like and I enjoy I enjoy watching baseball and I can find a lot of enjoyment in it. So um, just in this last week, you know, uh, uh, Wayno's Maddox the other night was incredible. Um, I I listened to that game rather than watched it, but it was just, you know, delightful listening and also kind of engaging on Cardinals Twitter, the one place where I could find people who understood what was going on and appreciated what was going on. Because, of course, <laughs> you know, broadcasters aren't up to date on concepts like a Maddox that, you know, have only been around for, you know, 10, 20 years. Um you know, the Field of Dreams game, of course, was really kind of a, you know, really special thing to go to. Um, uh, Friday night, I was able to go down to Kansas City and see Flaherty's first game back. So, I mean, anytime you can watch Jack Flaherty pitch, that's pretty special. Uh, I sat in the outfield because my son really wanted to sit by the Cardinals bullpen, um, basically, so he could try to get uh, players to throw balls up to him is really the whole reason there. Um, but typically, I don't sit in the outfield. One of the things I did was I just I watched Bader a whole lot. And Bader is just the the most fundamentally sound outfielder I've ever seen. And like towards the end of the time that I was playing baseball, I, I played center field. And I'm talking like high school. I'm not saying I was ever good, but like I played enough baseball that I feel like I can watch an outfielder and kind of appreciate like some of just how they set up, how they approach a ball off the bat, etc. 
And I mean, Bader is just flawless and, and sitting out there. Of course, you see a lot of it on the broadcast anyway, but generally on the broadcast, you know, they're kind of you don't see him until the ball's kind of on its way there. So to be able to sit there and just really watch yes. his whole kind of process and focus in on him, man, what a what an outfielder. Um, and then last night, um, I was I tuned in towards the end to catch uh, Tyler Gilbert's no hitter for the Diamondbacks. And again, like a 27 oh, amazing. Year old yeah, uh, 27-year-old guy, minor league, rule five guy. Um, you know, just basically guys kicking around who most people have given up on, only up with the Diamondbacks because they're a team that's kind of in, you know, who cares mode. And he's only pitched a couple games in relief. They give him a start, and he gets a no-hitter. So uh, just a real kind of special week of, you know, baseball moments that help me remember, you know, even if this is a year that the Cardinals aren't good enough to make the playoffs, I'm a baseball fan. I enjoy watching baseball for for moments like that. And, and to your point um, about the outfield, uh, one, uh, I, a, a good friend of mine and I, we used to go down uh, to the, the Cardinals-Royals games, uh, and he's, he's since moved to Arizona. But we went uh, to a couple, and uh, we went out into the outfield for batting practice. And, and this was when Holiday was on the Cardinals. And we were in left center field and holiday hit a home run and it was to us like, you know, that sinking feeling where the ball is coming to you and you do not have a glove, but not only can you see Matt holiday's home run coming to you, you can hear it hissing in the humidity because he, (laughs) he has hit it so hard and the, and, and the spin is so bad. And my friend, uh, he's, he is not a small man, and he is not a weak man. He was an offensive lineman in college. This is, this is the person you want in front of you when Matt Holliday yeah. has hit a home run towards you. And he is also brave, far braver than me. And he tried to catch that thing and uh, failed and had seams on the palm of his hand from Matt oh, Holliday's home run. And uh, that is a memory that will stick with me for the rest of my life. That is my uh, Kauffman Stadium bleacher story. Uh, <laughs> but what is what I always tell folks is uh, one of the reasons that I try to get bleacher seats, and then I'll, I also try to get on the infield because you can see the infielders a little bit better. But you watch major league outfielders, and they're – oftentimes moving on the swing like they know where the ball is going before the contact is made just based on the pitch and where it is and and they know where to go and it's a really remarkable thing and you know i often make the joke uh you know well i once played in high school (laughs) and Mm -hmm. fill in the blank but you really get a taste for just what they're doing is not anything that the vast majority of us who are watching have ever done. They're playing a game that we don't even, we only understand in a superficial way and watching a really great outfielder. um, I remember watching when Ichiro Ichiro Suzuki, his rookie year in 2001, uh, my dad and I and my sister got tickets at Fenway and we got to watch him. And it was the stretching in between innings, but then watching him move. And it was just like, this guy's, you know, he's, I know he's a rookie, quote unquote. Right. But like watching him in that game, it was just so eye opening because it was, yeah, 
you know, I, I was younger and it was one of the first times I had been that close to an outfielder and seen it. And just watching that, it's just an amazing experience because the really good outfielders, they're, they're so in tune with what's going on. And yep. it's just really amazing to see them, you know, doing their craft right there in front of you in a way that you, you totally miss on television because there's no real way. I mean, I suppose there would be a way, but it's difficult to capture for a television broadcast. And it's it's really fascinating. Vader does all of the little things that, and I mean, I coach youth baseball too. He does all the things you coach youth baseball players to do that professionals don't always do. And it's fine that they don't like a lot of people have commented on his, like catching the ball with two hands things. Yeah. That's the thing you tell kids to do. It doesn't really matter that, I, you know, like I know there were, yeah. you know, dope said, be, you know, get upset at Fowler for how he caught. It doesn't really matter. But Bader does all of those things. You know, he goes, he moves, he always starts back on the ball. So then he's coming in on it. He squares his body up. So he's, you know, uh, coming, you know, you know, kind of taking it straight on moving forward. I mean, just like, you know, just go down the line. Like, you know, he gets his, uses his feet to get under the ball before his gloves ever up. I mean, just like every little thing that you tell an outfielder to do, he just does, you know, impeccably. Um, and with a lot of style too. So, <laughs> you know, even with that, which is one right. of the things that's so fascinating to me about him is it's like, you know, he's this kind of, you know, stylish flamboyant player in a lot of ways, but then like plays like honestly the most like kind of, uh, you know, youth baseball coach, like fundamentally sound yes. <laughs> baseball you've ever seen. So I, and love, yet I people, love guys like that. And yet people would still get really upset when he hit, about league average, (laughs) you know, like it's like he, he is the, the quintessential best fan in baseball player for the St. Louis Cardinals. You know what I mean? Like he is the embodiment of what St. Louis fans are sold as being fans of, Uh, but man, Twitter would get upset when he would have a, you know, a 95 weighted runs created plus. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and they don't love his hair. They don't love his hair either. Uh, anyway, um, so Ben and I learned some things this week. Um, we uh, we reached out earlier today and and just kind of asked on Twitter if anybody had some questions for us. Got a flood of questions in, and I think we, in part, of course, need to thank uh, Cardinals Gifts for for amplifying that request because uh, you know his uh, his reach exceeds ours as well it should because he. Uh, is just such a joy um, for what he brings to uh, watching games and everything. But however folks found us, uh, we got a load of questions. I think it's also just an interesting time to, you know, to wonder about this team. Are there possibilities for this year? Are there possibilities for next year? So we're just going to try to burn through these here. So um, first one uh, we got was from uh, uh, Ben Cerruti, who um, if if you don't know Ben or follow Ben, um, he's got a podcast on the Birds on the Black uh, conversations with Cerruti. Um, you should uh, should check out there along with all of the other great podcasts that they do. Uh, and Ben had three questions for us here, uh, Ben. So, gosh, so many Bens in uh, Cardinals uh, Cardinals world. <laughs> we'll, we'll start through it. So his first question was, realistic remaining record needed in August to make a playoff push in September? And, and I'm going to jump in on this one, Ben, because I know I did the math on it, and you can okay. tell me if you agree with it. Um, I feel like... You're gonna. I feel like 87 wins to me is the number that you probably need to 
um, get one of those wild card spots. It could be lower, but there's a lot of teams that are still competing for that spot. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, there's you, obviously you've got San Diego um, and, and, of course, the Dodgers are in the, still in position, both out there in the West. You got St. Louis and Cincinnati in the Central. And then you've got, uh, you know, most of the Eastern uh, <laughs> NL East as well. So 87 is a number to me. Um, the Cardinals, as I mentioned at the top, are on pace to win 84 games. And that's even after this last week, they won six straight. Okay. So they've got 14 games left in August. To me, I think the minimum number that they would need would be a number to get them on track to win 87. And they'd have to go 10 and four in the rest of August. And if they go 10 and four over the rest of August for the season, they would be on pace to win 87 games. Now that's still going to be a Herculean lift because as many of you know, if you look at their September schedule, it's like the Brewers, the Dodgers, then the Brewers and the Dodgers playing together as a joint team, you know, and then like the 27 Yankees. I mean, it's just an insane schedule. So honestly, 10 and four is probably even still a little low because um, they would have to, you know, play uh, like 537 winning percentage baseball, which is what you need to get at 87 games. They have to play that through that brutal September. But, you know, if they're playing better, et cetera, I I don't know. That's in the conversation. What what do you think, Ben? Uh, I think that sounds about right. And I just wanted to set the table for the folks who maybe haven't peeked ahead uh, at the rest of the month. Uh, We're recording, of course, uh, on the the night of uh, Sunday, August 15th, 2021, they have just completed a sweep of the Royals after completing a sweep of the pirates. And so they have a big three game series against Milwaukee. Of course, you know, Milwaukee is so far ahead and such a juggernaut, you know, catching the Brewers doesn't seem very likely, but then they host Pittsburgh for three games, have an off day then they host Detroit for two games. Then they go to Pittsburgh for a four-game series. And then they close out the month and begin September with a series at the Reds. So you're looking at the swath of very winnable games. Nine games uh, against the Pirates and the Tigers. And then five games the rest of the way between or against the Brewers and the Reds, who are, who are good teams and very good teams. And so uh, it, it seems like uh, the Pirates are one of the worst teams in baseball right now. And it's it, to me, and I, I wanted to see what you thought, it doesn't seem unrealistic to expect them to go 6-1 and one against the Pirates and, and maybe sweep the Tigers in the two-game set uh, at uh, Bush. And, you know, they have the Brewers coming to Bush as well. And so, yeah. you know, to me, the schedule lines up pretty well to have some quote unquote momentum continue uh, into the yes. month of September. And, yes. you know, as my grandpa used to say, uh, you know, you make hay when the sun's shining and you rack up wins when you're playing jobber teams. He didn't say that second part. Uh, he just said the part. Did about he say hay, that first part? <laughs> well, I think everyone that's a that's an old that's- uh farm okay, saying so you make old, you make hay when this yeah okay. you make hay when the sun's shining well the sun's going to be shining when the pirates are coming to town and the tigers are coming to town and the cardinals are going yeah. to pittsburgh uh it's maybe a little bit cloudier 
uh, when Milwaukee and Cincinnati are on the on the schedule. So I yeah. and we talked about this last podcast. I you know I think they're well positioned to make things interesting uh, as we enter September, the gauntlet of September. And I think you're about right on the 87 wins. I think I might I might bump it up a notch or two. I think I might say 89 gets you that second wild card. Um, but that's just because of the the stratification of, of sellers and the folks who are going for it. You, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. the Dodgers are the, the first wild card right now, which is insane. Um, and yeah. so, <laughs> you know, right. like that team is so loaded. It's like a, a video game team where you traded for everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. on triple play 2000 and one or something on original yeah. PlayStation. Uh, right. And so then you're looking at San Diego. You Darvish just went on the injured list, but Tatis just got activated. And so, you know, there's a give and take there, but I think, I think the Padres are catchable. I think their pitching is weak yeah. enough that the Cardinals or the Reds, someone could catch them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. So the second part of Ben's question, he says, if you were in charge, who would your two September call-ups be? And this is a good question because we don't have the the super charged, you know, up to 40 uh, September uh, rosters anymore. There's only two guys who are coming up. So uh, Ben, do you have thoughts on that? I've got some thoughts on who I would bring up. So it's different this year because there's minor league baseball in September. Um, normally it ends and you have the postseason, And so for the minor leagues, the minor league postseason typically is in September. And so the Cardinals, and I know some of the rules have changed, but it's, it's a completely different dynamic. If you can play every day in the minors, as opposed to, uh, getting called up and, and maybe getting a handful of at bats or a handful of innings. And so, you know, when I look uh, for two September call-ups, you know, I don't know how the Cardinals would look at it um, because you look at a Burleson who seems intriguing or you look at a Gorman and then there's also the 40-man considerations. And so yeah, to me, I, I think we're going to see the Cardinals maybe not make any. Um, and I don't know if I would. I think I would... The players who I look at and I think, well, maybe they could help the team. They could maybe already be on the roster. But then you also think about it yeah. in terms of, well, if you call up some of these other guys, you can maybe give someone like a Nick Plummer a chance in AAA over the last six weeks or something like that. Um, yeah. If it were me, I I. I honestly don't think there's really a player that I would call up just because I don't think they're going to get much of an opportunity um, that they, they wouldn't get a greater benefit from playing every day uh, in the minors. So I would call well, up no one. Yeah. I, I think I agree with your overall premise, but I think there are a couple guys who they could bring up and they will bring up. And they're not sexy names, but they're guys who are already on the forty man. So, to me, I think you, I think they probably bring up a, a reliever. And um, to me, the the three names, and I, and I just kind of took a little bit of a, a peek back at kind of 
who's you know who's down there. I, to me, Cody Whitley, Seth Elledge, or uh, Angel Rondon were the three names that jumped out to me. Their guys are already on the 40. Um, each of them, um, as I can see, seems like they've been pitching pretty well over the last few weeks. I don't watch AAA baseball super well. But I think that's just another arm there in, in the bullpen. Uh, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought up two of those guys and brought up two relievers. Um, but I, you know, I think uh, in terms of position players, there's really not much down there that's already on the forty. I think what they could do, and it's the least interesting thing of all, is bring up Ali Sanchez as a third catcher. I mean, that's a pretty classic kind of September move. Um, you know, nobody nobody loves it, but it's it, it helps you out. Um, you know, uh, the other hitters they have down there, Austin Dean and Justin Williams are kind of not really factoring in there right now. I believe Dean is hurt and Williams was kind of hurt and kind of in a weird situation. I don't see either of them coming out. And then Avon Herrera is also on the 40 man because they had to protect him, but he's in double A. There's no chance that he comes out. Um, I think, you know, the, the one kind of name that people would be interested in, I think there's a really low but non-zero chance is Liberator. I think there's a chance that they decide they're going to give, you know, bring Liberator up and kind of, um, you know, give give him a shot. But I, I think it's very unlikely. So I, I would prepare for no great enforcements. Oh, I meant to mention the other name that to me, and this is another guy who's not on the 40. Um, and this is something that Kyle suggested on our last show. But uh, Juan Yepes is absolutely killing the ball down there, just absolutely killing the ball and playing well and hitting well enough at AAA that, you know, he could very easily warrant at the very least, uh, you know, bench kind of pinch hitter role with the Cardinals. And so that, that's a move I would like to see them do as well. But because he's not on the 40, et cetera, because it would start his clock, all those kind of things for just a whole variety of reasons. I don't think it's real likely, but um, but I think that would be a, a fun one as well. Um, so the, then about Ben's last question there are the two big are the big two in the pen along with Cabrera now, Luis Garcia and TJ McFarland, which I think to me that feels like a way to ask about how how low have you gotten on uh, Alex Reyes and Giovanni Gallegos, um, if we're looking at those as a top three. So what do you, what do you think, Ben? I, I think you're, you're probably asking the person who's been the lowest on Alex Reyes all year of, I, I guess most anyone I know. Um, yeah. so no, I, I don't think so, uh, with the way Schilt operates. Yeah. And the, the other, the other thing is, if you have, and, and this is the way that I think about this question, because you're asking, you know, what is the pecking order, right? Yeah. So if you have uh, the best, you have the heart of the lineup for um, the Brewers or the Reds. Let's say the Reds. Let's yeah. say uh, the heart of the order for the Reds is coming up in the uh bottom of the eighth inning here in a week, right? Mm -hmm. Are you going to call on McFarlane or Garcia, or are you going to call on Gallegos, right? And to me, you're calling on Gallegos. I'm not going to let, you know, I'm not going to let the heart of the Reds order beat me with Garcia or McFarlane. Um, Now, uh, if the Cardinals have, information which they do they have a lot more information about these folks than we have you know whether it's you know a little bit of fatigue or uh some soreness or what have you i think that can kind of shuffle things but at the end of the day if it's if it's a late inning 
and the yeah. game is on the line, Schilt, I think, is going to call on Gallegos. And yeah. I don't blame him. I probably would, too, unless he has information that there's some health issues or or something isn't right in that regard. Uh, Reyes is a more interesting question. Uh, longtime listeners will remember uh, that it was the position of the Cardinals off-day podcast that the Cardinals needed to trade Alex Reyes this year at the trade deadline because it was the highest his value would ever be because of his control issues. Um, sadly, that has been proven correct. I was hoping we would be wrong and we would be eating a lot of crow, and maybe we still will be next year and in the years ahead because he's still going to be on the Cardinals. But I'm, I still I'm, think I'm he's little, the closer. Yeah, right? I'm he's a little, the closer. I'm, yeah, I'm a little higher on him than you are. Um, uh, I'm I'm optimistic that he could remain effective out of the bullpen, but I mean I'm a hundred percent out on him as a starter, and I and I do agree, you know, that I think he he could have been an incredibly valuable trade chip that you know had they chosen to go that route. So, well, um, you look at that that Craig Kimbrell, you know, trade. Yeah from the Cubs to the White Sox, then you add on a year of control. Now, Kimbrel's been better, but I feel like when you add on the year of control, you kind of, it's a a rough approximation. And it's kind of like, why is Alex Reyes still on the Cardinals again? Yeah. Well, I I think, and I don't want to go too far down this road, but I think that would have been moving them into seller mode and moving them out of the mode they like to be in, which is kind of, you know, that arbitrage, neither buyers nor seller thing. But no, I, I agree with you on this as well. I know that uh, Gallegos and Reyes have been, you know, kind of the results have not been great over the last couple of weeks. And, and probably they're, you know, they're tired because they have to pitch every single game. And so, yeah, if there's a point where they're injured or they're so ineffective from being tired, which frankly is the same thing as being injured. Um, uh, you know, I think we could see them, you know, move to the disabled list or something like that and see these guys elevated. But I think they're much better pitchers than Luis Garcia or TJ McFarland. And frankly, unless we find out that they're injured, I expect this just happens to be a little bit of a dip for those two guys. It's happening at the same time. I mean, with the number of innings that they've put in for them to have some, a dip in results, you know, here in late August is not, not at all surprising. So, so moving on. So the next question we had been, I'll go ahead and just read this one too. It's from at slum and gravy on Twitter. And it's a little bit long, but he wants to know, he asked about the number of young pitchers on the roster um, and the number of pass balls, wild pitches, and the number of veteran pitchers and their pass balls and wild pitches while Yachty is catching. And and I, I mean, I didn't have the time to put this together, but I think what he's getting at here is just, um, you know, do we think that Yachty is more or less effective with young pitchers or veteran pitchers? Have you have you seen any? And, and we weren't able to kind of crunch the numbers on this. So if there was, is a specific number there that jumps out, maybe it exists and we just don't know about it. But um I don't know, Ben, anything there that you, you notice or suspect? Well, I, to me, I understand where this question is coming from and and I don't mean to be dismissive of it, but I think that the entire uh, frame of this has to be looked at. Uh, You know, Molina has been playing uh, hurt. And I, I think you see it. And I, on Twitter, it, it boils up and um, it's kind of like he's being lazy or he's not trying. He doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've always appreciated about Yadier Molina is he seems to kind of know when he can try. 
or when he has right. to try and when he can kind of, right. you know, do an Olay or what have you. And uh, I, you know, I look at his hitting and just how badly it's fallen off. And I look at his defense and I, I kind of see a, a shadow of that same dynamic. And so um, to me, it's tough to really look at what Molina does well or not this season. Cause I think he's been playing hurt for most of it. Um, but here's the interesting thing. When we got this question, I went and I looked at the wild pitches. Okay. Uh, for the Cardinal staff, Alex Reyes has the most at nine. Cabrera has seven. Helsley has seven. Kim has four, Flaherty has four, Gallegos has four, Wainwright has three, Carlos Martinez has three, Jordan Hicks has three, and he barely even pitched. Yeah. Um, Oviedo has two, Woodford has two, Garcia has two, Miller, Ponce de Leon, Junior Fernandez, Tyler Webb, Seth Elledge, Cody Whitley, and Brandon Waddle all have one. That's a lot of guys that have experience in the majors pitching to Yachty. Right. Like for yeah. from the wild pitch perspective. And so to me that it, it seems as if uh, at least from a wild pitch perspective overall, it's the more established Cardinals as opposed to the up and comers who have had problems in that regard. And I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, no, and I, I, I would agree with you. I don't. Um... I haven't noticed a real difference in terms of how he's dealing with those guys. And, and, and a hundred percent agree with you about, you know, Yachty, Yachty manages his workload. Um, you know, people get upset that he doesn't hustle down to first base on a ground out. And yeah, he does. Um, especially when he's hurt kind of Olay some balls that, you know, rather than, than blocking them. Um, and it doesn't always look great in the moment. It can be frustrating in the moment, but I think we have to also understand that some of those things are what allows him to, continue to catch as many games as he does and, and probably more games than he even should. But um, uh, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, so uh, <clears throat> moving on um, army of Mike uh, on Twitter asked a pretty straightforward question or is it, uh, he says de young or Sosa <laughs> at shortstop in 2022, Ben, how would you take that one? Uh, I think it's de young, um, you know, and I'm a, a Sosa fan and have been uh, the spring training discourse about why Sosa then breaking into opening day, why Sosa was on the roster really rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I think he's a very good bench infield option. Like he puts, you know, barrel to ball. He has that skill and he's a good defender who can cover you second shortstop and third base. Um, and so uh, I like him. I like him on the team. Uh, you know, I do kind of wonder with Edmund and him and DeYoung how that all will eventually play out. Obviously, the questioner does as well. But I think, um, you know, DeYoung had a really uh, bad stretch to the season. Um, and then he got hurt and came back probably a little bit too early, and that prolonged the ugliness. Then he had a hot streak, cooled off, maybe is heating up a little bit uh, again. But I, I still think it's DeYoung. I think DeYoung is yeah. going to be the shortstop on opening day. He has the guaranteed contract. He has the higher salary. Um, and, 
you know, I, I think we're probably going to find out about health issues throughout the year, either in spring training or at the end of year press conference with respect to him. And I would be very surprised uh, if Sosa leapfrogs him uh, on the depth chart on opening day of next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually I'll loop in a, another question we had a little bit later on our list here, but it was from uh, Jared Hall, who's at good old red. Cause he asked a similar situation. He has shortstop situation, stick with the young Sosa or get Seeger story. Correa is what he kind of asked there. And um, to me, um, if we're looking at our current kind of middle infielder crop there, and let's say we've got DeYoung, Sosa, and uh, Edmund. And to me, Rondon is just, you know, Rondon's expendable. So DeYoung, Sosa, and Edmund, what it comes down to for me is that, you know, two of those guys, at least two of those guys should be uh, primarily bench players next year. But more so, I think what they need to do is what we've been talking about for several weeks is just they need to bolster their depth in general because those are all useful players. And um, I do think to me this somewhere in the middle infield, whether it's at second base or shortstop, is probably their most glaring need on the offensive side in terms of acquiring somebody from outside the organization. So I, I would like to see a free agent acquisition in that mix there. Um, you know, it's certainly possible that they went big on something like, you know, a Seeger story or Correa. And if they got one of those guys, of course, that player is starting every day that they're healthy at shortstop. And, um, you know, probably DeYoung is your primary at second base, but really all of these other guys are kind of filling in the gaps there. Um, and I, I think that's a possibility. They're going to presumably have some money to spend this year, but I don't really expect it. I expect them to find a a left-handed player who can maybe play, you know, second and short. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more of a second baseman, maybe with some outfield versatility. And then to see them hopefully kind of mix and match amongst these guys a a little bit. Um, You know, Edmund, I still do think really has value as that sort of super sub role. Um, I I like Edmondo Sosa, but to me, he's a, He's really kind of a reserve infielder guy who's who's down the pecking order a little ways going forward. So that's my thought on that. I don't know. Do you, uh, as far as the acquisition part and going big there, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, they they should go after Seeger. Um, you know, he bats right and or excuse me, bats left and murders right-handed pitching. Um, just destroys it. And and this lineup needs that type of presence in it, um, and so I I will tell you one hundred percent that's who they need to target and go after. And he even hits left-handed pitching pretty well. And if you have him, uh, you know that makes Edmund sosa and DeYoung very redundant because they're all a right-handed complement and then you have to figure mm-hmm. out who you want amongst them edmund is probably the best defender uh he's a very good defender uh in the outfield and at second base uh and so and at third base um and then that that probably leaves like a sosa as the odd person out um yeah. but if if there's a way they could find to unload DeYoung. I, Seager is the exact profile of a bat that this team needs. And yeah. it's the type of acquisition that frees them up to completely 
do what they want with those other three players and no one will have a problem yeah. with it. Now you said unload with De Young, but De Young has such a team friendly deal that I think the only way De Young gets moved is if it's as part of a deal that gets them a, a better player coming in. Um, I, uh, you know, I just I don't see them get, getting rid of De Young. Otherwise, I think they'd be pretty happy to keep him with his skill set and and with the you know relatively modest uh, amount that he's that he's making. Um, oh, it's a very so- team friendly deal, but. You know, Sosa and Edmund are making the minimum plus whatever the Cardinals decide to throw their way. That's true. And, and I would have said the same thing about Colton Wong's uh, option. Exactly. <laughs> like, and that's there's Colton no Wong changes the whole game for me. Right. You know, when right. when the wallet ball ate its tail, I no longer have any concept of what these team friendly deals mean because yeah. apparently the team doesn't care about winning as much as as obeying whatever the ownership marching orders are with respect to payroll. So, and I understand yeah. why Moselock and Gersh do that because, you know, they wouldn't have their job if they didn't, but right. it's, right. uh, that, that was a real, I, to this day, I, I, I understand from a financial perspective, but from a baseball perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. No, we'll be talking about that deal forever, I think. Um, so uh, Daniel Shoptaw, um, who's at C70, and um, of course, the Meet Me at Mutual podcast, uh, great blogger, um, on and on. You guys probably all know Daniel. He asks, uh, or he says, uh, something I need to grapple with, so I'll toss to you. Are they that much better, or is it that they are beating up on teams that they should beat up on? And I think Daniel's probably speaking for all Cardinals fans <laughs> as we were watching this last week when they went, you know, six and zero. Yeah, Ben, I'll let you jump in first. What do you What do you say? Um, I I think it's a it's a weird situation we find ourselves on in because the team has not been good, and it's been dealing with uh, a lot of injuries, um, but there were still teams that we felt they should beat that they weren't beating, right? Like after yeah. Flaherty went down, you know, there were a couple stretches there where they were playing jobber teams and they needed to beat them and they couldn't do it. Yep. And now they come out and they are, you know, eating the lunch of the Pirates and the Royals and it's, you know, a nice win streak. And this is what you expect a team to do. You know, they can't make the schedule. They just have to go play the games. And that's what they've done. And they've played the games well. Um, And what we talked about earlier, though, is I feel like this is the first time this team has the players healthy that the front office anticipated having healthy. Um, And, you know, you're seeing the fruits of that good fortune, even with Carlson out. Um, you know, Flaherty, and we said this when he went down, he is the most, uh, irreplaceable Cardinal. They, there is no other ace in waiting. Who's going to give them ace innings. And if he's able to come back and do that, it's a huge upgrade. Then you're going to add Michaelis to the mix. And if you're adding like a number three starter to the mix as well, I mean, that's another huge upgrade. And if you have them playing in front of, this elite defense, you know, this is suddenly a formidable team. And I, I think what we're seeing is with health uh, and performance, it's coming together. Now, whether or not it's too little too late remains to be seen, especially 
with the schedule they have in September. But for right now, this team is better today than it was uh, at the trade deadline, both yeah. by people getting healthy and because of the deals they made in particular for Hap. And we'll see if that's enough to carry them to the second wildcard spot. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, although, you know, Daniel, if you presented it as a binary, are they th- this much better or is that they're beating up on teams they should beat up on? I would say they're beating up on teams that they should beat up on because the Pirates yeah. and the Royals are garbage. I mean, just garbage teams. There's just, you know, pitching offense. There's just, there's nothing really there. So, um, you know, all of these things are, are, are working well there. But I also agree with what Ben said. Um, you know, the, the outfield is healthy. Flaherty back at the top of the rotation makes a huge difference. And um, they're, they're able to at least kind of present that premise. And I, Ben, you framed it earlier, I think pretty clearly, this idea of, you know, elite defense that can kind of catch the balls that this pitching staff, which is not a like strike them out pitching staff top to bottom, you know, are going to do that. Um, I don't know. These guys that all of these, you know, kind of pitch to contact guys, you know, when it's the Dodgers making contact on those pitches in September, I'm, I'm concerned, frankly, because I see more of these balls leaving the yard and finding the gaps and things like that. So, um, but it's, you know, it's a little bit of both. And I think we'll, we'll find out. And at least we can wonder about them being a little bit better at this point. <laughs> That's something we couldn't even do for a little while here. So uh, the next question we had is from Bill Dozier. He's at VFN on Twitter. Uh, Bill says, assuming Michaelis, Kim, LeBlanc, and Flaherty are all all healthy, what will or should the rotation look like? Do they keep both Hap and Lester? Um, So, Ben, looking to next year, what are you thinking rotation-wise? Well, I... I I think this is more for the the rest of the season, and, you know, the old saying, these things have a way of working themselves out. And... You know, LeBlanc right now is on the injured list and with elbow issues, and I'd be surprised if he rejoins the rotation as a starter. Um, And then Kim also injured with elbow uh, issues. And so, uh, you know, it seems to me like they went out and got Lester because they weren't sure what they had with Kim in terms of health uh, going forward. Because we'll all remember they kind of pushed Kim back and we were like, what's going on here. And it, it's kind of been a weird use of him before they put him on the injured list, which to me suggests that it was maybe worse earlier than the official designation uh, Mm -hmm. on the injured list uh, would lead you to believe. And so the other weird thing is, you know, the the whole veteran proviness thing that governs all things Major League Baseball, you know, John Lester and Hap, their name brands, you know, veterans who have, you know, done all of this. And so I think the Cardinals will be unlikely to remove them. And I would I'm a little bit worried about Kim, to be frank, Um the rest of the way i think it's a problem the cardinals will welcome and you know if they have to kind of maybe go to a de facto six-man rotation during some of the busier uh parts of that schedule in september i think they might do that just to get everyone starts um but i mean i i think very clearly it's flaherty wainwright and and 
Michaelis are your top three if they're all healthy. And then it's Hap Lester. And if they can get anything from Kim and LeBlanc, they'll be happy about it. And I think LeBlanc, if he comes back healthy, will be a swing uh, man, probably starting out of the the bullpen uh, and coming in if they need it early to give them innings coverage. But I, I and I agree with you. But I think your answer shows just how much trouble this rotation is still in. Because I agree a hundred percent. I think their top three are absolutely Flaherty, Wainwright, and Michaelis. But let's keep in mind, Flaherty has made one start back from the DL, <laughs> and Michaelis hasn't even pitched yet back from the disabled list. And, so we're and we're, they we're, made him do an extra rehab start, like yeah. it's and he got yeah. shelled in his penultimate rehab start. Right. So 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 we're we're already kind of like uh, <laughs> I don't know we're we're already uh, put some asterisks on this if you have, but but for the moment, let's just say you got Flaherty. Wainwright and Michaelis and if you do that's a pretty that's a really solid top three I think you're looking really good right there but then you get to those next two spots and it is pretty dodgy and I think you feel so much better if Kim can come back because if you can get Kim in there as your number four and then it's it's Hap Lester or LeBlanc for that fifth position fine basically you've got one kind of you know, kind of throwaway filling guy there. That's pretty standard. If you've got two of your five starters that are kind of one of these old lefties who you're hoping can kind of hang on to it, I think, you know, I think that'll be really, really hard for them. So I think the Flaherty and Michaelis, of course, being healthy is, is essential, but then even if those guys are healthy, I think there's a good chance that you you either need Kim to come back if they're actually going to really be competitive through the month of September, or you know if you know if you think like Hap or somebody can kind of hang on to the the good luck they've had. Um, but I'm not. I don't really think so. I don't think they're fundamentally different as Cardinals than they were before. So, um, so let's uh, moving on here uh, at Just Win Dave says. Um, I think, and this kind of follows some of what we were already talking about, I think the veteran starters have better pace on the mound, and the defense responds well to this. Um, walks and hit-by-pitches are demoralizing drags on the game. Um, ben, what do, you, what do you think about that? Oh, I agree 100%. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of those things, like Wainwright has always had a good pace, and I think Flaherty uh, tends to as well. Um, but you, you look at some of the younger guys, um, you know, in, in particular Oviedo, I think tends to, you know, get caught up in whatever and, and take his time. And it's kind of weird because in the minors, they have the pitch clock, but it seems like the veterans tend to work faster in St. Louis than some of the younger pitchers. So I don't know if they've gotten free of the pitch clock and now they're going to take more time. Um, but it's uh, it's one of those things you do want to work quickly. It's something that I know LaRusse and Duncan used to stress because it keeps your defense uh, agile and on their toes uh, and and more engaged with the game. Um, but the walks, uh, no, you will not find anyone who hates walks more from the St. Louis Cardinals pitching staff than me. I yeah. I just have no tolerance for it. Uh, it it is really the reason that this season has gone wrong has been walks really uh, from the pitching staff now. And, and so hopefully they've got that figured out 
because they've added the pitchers and and brought Flaherty and and Michaelis works with a pretty good pace too. So hopefully this takes care of itself over the final uh, six weeks. Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, the other thing is no one works fast when they're throwing balls. Like you never see a pitcher <laughs> who you never see a pitcher who is struggling to find the plate who works fast. And and I mean, part it's it's two things. First of all, it it feels like it's taking a lot longer when, you know, you're constantly going to two, two, three, two counts. It just really delays things. Even if you got a clock out and the time between pitches, you know, wasn't so bad. That just becomes a super long time as a as a fan, but also for the defenders, et cetera, to kind of stand there. But you know, the other thing is, if a guy is if a guy's throwing balls, he's gonna take a little trip around the mound, and he's gonna take some time to reset himself and try to try to get locked in. So it's it's something that kind of snowballs. But um, but I, I like this question too because I feel like this zeroes in on one of those kind of intangible benefits about getting like not incredibly sexy guys like Hap and Lester, you know, they understand what their job is and their job is just to go out there and throw strikes and get through innings. And we've seen, especially with Lester and especially in that first start of Lester, like, you know, th- these guys could get blown up out there, you know, like they're, they're throwing strikes and these aren't guys, you know, they're not throwing like Garrett Cole strikes. Like they're, these balls could get hit and sometimes they will and they'll get lit up, but you don't, when that happens, you don't see them, you know, get, get frustrated and start pacing around and, you know, reconsidering everything yep. because they understand that's what their job is and they're just going to keep doing it. And, and overall the results have been, um, you know, have been good from that. And at the very least, it's been what the Cardinals need. They're they're taking up innings and they're throwing strikes. And that's really all they needed them to do. And the fact that they've been winning some more of these games lately is, is certainly related to that. But, it, you know, the primary thing was those innings and those strikes. So this um, re- this question uh, reminded me when the Cardinals several years ago, I think it was actually 2014 with Michael Walk on the mound, started against uh, Eric Bedard for the Rays at the time. And Fox Sports Midwest did this wonderful split screen showing the different pace that they work with. And they they accelerated it. And it was just basically like part of an inning for each pitcher. And Waka was throwing three pitches for every one that Bedard would throw. And it, yeah. three or four, actually, when they would just go it. Because Waka mm-hmm. uh, was from uh, a program where they timed their pitchers. And they were like, you have to pitch. Like, yeah. you know, that was part of the, what they pounded into their uh, pitchers. And... I've always found that fascinating because it's something that LaRusse and Duncan also stressed. And it, it just kind of made me wonder organizationally why more teams don't do that, especially with the pitch clock, like in, instill in these pitchers and drill into them. So it's just what they're doing is they're just getting the ball. Oh, Yachty says, especially with Yachty or Molina. Okay. Yachty says curveball away. You know, yeah. we're just doing that. And so I, it, it it's a it's a very interesting thing to me in a larger picture way from a player development perspective as well is how are they valuing that and training players really uh, to pitch mm-hmm. that way coming up through the minors. Uh, but we've got a couple more questions and I know we want to get to all of them uh, before we're done here today. And uh, Steve uh, Gloriad asked us, how well does Arenado need to play the rest of the year to make an opt-out likely? What do you think, Ben? 
I think, and I know that this has been a topic of conversation um, amongst fandom all season. And I, I will tell you, I think the chances that Nolan Arenado opts out are almost zero. I, I just don't see any chance that, you know, he opts out unless, uh, you know, he gets into a fist fight in the locker room with Mike Schilt <laughs> personally. Uh, with, with Bill DeWitt the third. With Bill DeWitt the third. Bill DeWitt the third is in there introducing some new alternate jersey that they're going to wear every you know, fourth Saturday. And he and Arenado come to blows. No, I, I don't I don't see it happening. And there's a couple reasons for that. But I honestly what it all boils down to is this i don't think there's any way that arenado goes out onto the open market and gets a deal for more money than what he has in his current deal i don't think there's any chance of that um he's still a very good player but these long-term contracts are always designed so that you're you're getting the most value in the early years and then you're you're kind of gradually overpaying as the player ages and arenado while still very good while still very much worth being on the cardinals you know, he um, he's not putting up that surplus value anymore. You're seeing him start to decline with some age and he's what, 30, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, um, I think so. Uh, it's it's all in line with what you'd expect. But, you know, um, basically, if you signed a deal when you were, I don't know, 26, 27, whenever he signed that deal um, based on the level you played at then, you don't want to go out and, and throw that away and now sign a deal based on the level you're playing at when you're 30. It just, you don't see it very often. You're not going to get that. And I think especially on, t- um, uh, we have a collective bargaining agreement that's going to be renegotiated yeah. this off season. So who knows what's going to come from that. Um, and, and I think there's certainly a will to see some of the money that had been um, kind of hoarded by free agents, possibly, redistributed a little bit more to younger players. Um, that's at least something that's a possibility. And that would be something else that would uh, certainly not benefit someone like Arenado. So I don't see any chance that he does that. I know other th- another thing people focused on was the idea that, well, he wanted out of Colorado to play on a contender. And, um, you know, the Cardinals have been, you know, pretty fringy as a contender this year. Um, but you know, this is an organization that if you're going to play for any organization and trust that they're going to be trying to win or trying to be competitive every year, even though I know some of us have been disappointed over these last few years and rightly so, I still think the Cardinals are an organization you feel more confident about that with than just about anywhere else. You know, San Diego is really good right now, but I see a, I see a fire sale, uh, you know, coming in San Diego at some point. Um, so I, if, for all those reasons, I think it's extremely unlikely that he opts out. What do you think, Ben? Oh, I, I think it's extremely unlikely as well. Um, and I don't, I don't know if there is a level of play that would make it more likely. And the number one reason is, as you mentioned, the collective bargaining agreement is expiring and they're going to have to renegotiate and, uh, hopefully, uh, reach an agreement on a new one. But I think that's going to make this free agency, uh, season a, a weird one. And so that cuts against and opt out. And then for what you just said is the Rockies already uh, crafted this contract, anticipating these late twenties, great seasons from Arenado. And then they're going to overpay in the back years for those. And now the Cardinals aren't getting those seasons that the Rockies got. They're just getting 30 on. 
And yeah. so, you know, the number of players who are going to sign a contract this long uh, for that much value, it, it's just, it is an unlikely event uh, in the current climate of Major League Baseball in this day and age. And uh, it also sounds like Arenado likes playing here. He likes playing with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina and Paul Goldschmidt. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's boring when you have to come up with new takes on Twitter and social media and the radio every day. But the real culprit of the season for the St. Louis Cardinals is health. And that's just a fact. And there's nothing that leads me to believe that Nolan Arenado doesn't recognize that. And so I, I think he, he sees this team. And also if they're going to make a run late in the season, I think he would be even more likely to stay. And so I just, I think it's, it's next to zero that he opts out for all of those reasons. I think he's happy here. I think he recognizes that the team is going to be competitive and I think he also recognizes what his prospects would be on the open market right now, and they would not be as good as the contract he has right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, and this is true of all players, and this is not a criticism, but players talk a lot about wanting to win and being on winning programs or playing in places they want to play. But it almost always comes down to money. Um, guys will certainly w w once um, they can get their money in a variety of ways, they may choose to go somewhere that that is going to you know, do one of those things from them. But you just don't see somebody walk away from huge guaranteed money to go, um, you know, specifically for somewhere where, oh, they think it's a winning culture here or, oh, they they want to play here. So it's something that I feel like it's always talked about, but it just almost like show me the actionable, uh, you know, times that it's happened where that that's what someone kind of, you know, made that decision. And um, yeah, he's not going to get that money on the open market, almost certainly. So our last question um, from Redbird Nerds at Redbird Nerds. Um, and, and this is something we, we touched on a little bit earlier, but I think we can uh, hit on it again. Who are some surprise minor league arms you can see playing a role in a postseason push in September? And so uh, I said, and I'll, Ben, I'm just going to kind of jump in on this one first. But, um, uh, you know, I said earlier that, honestly, I see those guys coming in on the 40 being the Whitley, Elledge, Rondone, kind of not real uh, exciting uh, relief pitchers who are on the 40-man roster um, names. But I did mention Liberator. And I think there's a universe where Liberator comes up this year. And it may relate to what we talked about earlier about what does that rotation look like. And let's say they're continuing to play some winning baseball. They're kind of looking like they might be in that wild card conversation, but they've got uh, Flaherty, Wainwright, Michaelis, and Kim doesn't come back. And they're really just kind of scraping for those last two. I could see them saying, you know what, let's take a shot. Let's, let's, let's bring Liberator up and, and, you know, give it a go. Because frankly, if they're at that point, I think they probably have no other choice. I think, that, you know, that's the only way they could maybe think this will this will give us a boost. Um, that's my that's the only that's the only I guess what I would deem a surprise arm that I could really see being in the conversation. What, what do you think? I I I don't see a surprise like that. I, I don't see like a a Michael Walker, <clears throat> even yeah. though 
his trajectory didn't make it surprising his performance was. And, and um, I almost said Michael Walker because basically if they were to bring Libertor up, that's what they would be hoping for would be a, a Michael Walker situation. Yeah. And I, he Libertor in AAA this year, just frankly, hasn't been good enough to believe he's that yeah. type of impact pitcher in 2021. Yeah. Um, but w- what I will do is I will say, uh, my my surprise pitcher for next year is Connor Thomas, who's been in AAA this year. So uh, keep an eye on him. Uh, he's been decent in AAA. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. A lefty, I think he could be a good uh, pitcher, a surprise pitcher next season for the St. Louis Cardinals. But I just don't see that guy who you've never heard of before who comes up and sets the world on fire down the stretch for the Cardinals joining the team this year. Yeah, I agree. I wish, I really wish there was, but it's just, there, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of, um, you know, possibilities uh, floating out there, but Hey, you never know. Uh, you know, 27 year old, uh, minor league rule five guy just threw a no hitter for the, for the diamondbacks earlier <laughs> this week. So it's well, baseball. And, we can always hope for something crazy. That's right. And, and the other, the, the problem is, is that they've had so many injuries and, and issues yeah. with pitching this year is that they have basically tried everyone on the 40 man roster yes. and then yeah. some, uh, in yeah. the majors this year. So there's no one really lying in wait. We've kind of seen most everyone. Yeah. Well, I tell you that, uh, yeah, and I agree. And actually, to me, someone who's not in the rotation right now who could come back up and be in the rotation and, and give him a boost, to me, the most likely one would be Johan Oviedo, who I think does have the stuff to be an impact pitcher, has not been able to do it consistently, but is getting some time in AAA. And, and you know, he's he's not far uh, or anyway i guess what i'm saying is something could click with him and and he could you know certainly elevate uh, above a lot of these other guys and give them something so so maybe that's an, and again that's not a, that's certainly not a surprise name that's a guy we've seen over the last couple of years but he'd be somebody else i'd be thinking about there um well th- and, and thank you uh, everybody for the questions um just nice to always nice to know people are listening um, people have really interesting questions that give us a good chance to kind of touch on frankly some of the ideas we were we were wanting to talk on anyway so appreciate that you can always send us a question on twitter at cardinals off day um, you can email us at uh, cardinals off day at substack.com as well um, so Ben, as we wrap things up here, we're still on this August calendar where Mondays are off days. So we've got another week ahead of us. They didn't lose a single game since the last off day, by the way. So this has been a good, good week for us. But as you look ahead to the next six games, uh, what are you looking for? Uh, it's, it's how Michaelis and Flaherty bounce back, uh, after rejoining the rotation. Uh, you know, this Milwaukee series is a big deal. Uh, despite how it will probably be sold, um, it seems unlikely that the Cardinals are going to erase that huge deficit in the Central. Right. And so the Cardinals really, they're, they need to beat the Brewers, not to catch the Brewers, uh, but to catch the Padres. And yep. so uh, seeing how Flaherty and Michaelis bounce back after rejoining the Major League rotation and get back into the grind, uh, to me is what we all need to be looking at because that's really going to set the tone for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And as I look at the the three projected matchups in this series, you've got Wayno versus Corbin Burns, you've got Flaherty versus Peralta, and then you've got Michaelis versus Woodruff. Okay. 
So that's, I mean, that's, that's a heavyweight championship bout right there. That's in the version of this universe where the Cardinals and the Brewers were duking it out for the division. That would have been the, our big three versus basically their big three. And so getting back to uh, Daniel's question, for example, talking about, Hey, is this team really a contender now? Or have you just been playing bad teams? These three games, to me, are a perfect litmus test for that. And if the Cardinals can go out there with those matchups and be competitive and, and, you know, hopefully, like, let's say, take two of three, that's going to lend some credence to the idea that, like, maybe this has finally clicked. And maybe we are seeing the version of this Cardinals team that could have plausibly been uh, a playoff team. Now, if they go out there and get smoked (laughs) or if, you know, Flaherty or, uh, you know, Michaelis, uh, you know, grab at their arms or sides and amble off, you know, well, then I think we know that it's, you know, it's where it's at the end of the road. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. Uh, As long as we got the off day, do you have a recommendation for folks? I do. Um, And. Uh, it has to do with the field of dreams uh, because I found it utterly bizarre that major league baseball did not remove shoeless Joe Jackson's ban uh, as a part of the, of the exhibition at the field of dreams. And it's super weird (laughs) that they celebrate this movie where he is at the center of it. And I, I feel like really, frankly kind of started the turn of kind of examining what happened with the black Sox and what role he did or did not play and surprise surprise manfred didn't do the right and just thing um but one of the pieces that i read that um you know, helped solidify my position on this comes from uh, September of 2009. And it was an article that was in the Chicago lawyer and it's uh, titled black socks. It ain't so kid. It just ain't. So it's by uh, Daniel Volker and Paul Duffy. And it's just about uh, shoeless Joe Jackson. And if you're interested in that type of thing uh, and baseball history, i think it's a a good read um and hopefully rob manfred will read it and maybe next year when the cubs and cardinals play at field of dreams uh knock on wood maybe they'll clear shoeless joe jackson's name uh once and for all and allow him to be eligible for the hall of fame uh, which would be the right thing to do however belated yeah yeah. No, nice. I, I feel like I really kind of learned, began to learn about Shoeless Joe Jackson and the White Sox from uh, Eight Men Out, the great John Sayles movie about yes. um, about the whole White Sox scandal. And um, if, if anyone hasn't seen Eight Men Out, I would strongly recommend it. Um, I know it's um, the historic. I mean, it's, for Frank, it's just a great movie. John Sayles is a great director, but the the historic bona fides in it, I, I believe, are pretty good, too. I've always heard that, you know, it's it's. You know, um, so, you know, it gives you some good thing anyway. So but my off day recommendation is actually another movie, um, and that is the documentary Screwball uh, directed by uh, Billy Corbin. Ben, I think you and I didn't you watch this with me at my house uh, one time, didn't we? Yes. Watch this yes. together. 
I bring this movie up. It's a few years old, but I actually just in the last week, I had two different conversations with um, Cardinals fans about this, about this movie. And so, um, and one who had seen it and loved it. And one who I think was just seeing it for the first time, but um, uh, it's, it's a great movie. It's a, Basically, it's the documentary story of the kind of uh, Florida-based um, uh, doping scandal that hit uh, Major League Baseball. So this is the one that netted A-Rod and Manny Ramirez and all of those kind of, um, you know, Florida guys. Uh, uh, Billy Corbin, the director, uh, he the, the, the sort of gimmick to it that people remember is he uses a lot of recreations and he casts children to play all of these people, which uh, which I mean, yes, it is. It is a gimmick, but it's it's first of all, it's hilarious. And it just it it really works so well, too. And it just kind of it heightens the absurdity of what's going on in it. So um, I, I highly recommend it. You watch that movie and your opinion of A-Rod and Rob Manfred cannot be anything, but these are insane people. I mean, just ridiculous, insane kind of clownish characters after you see that. Um, so anyway, I strongly recommend that. I just checked. It is currently on Netflix. So everybody who's got Netflix, that's an easy kind of free watch uh, screwball. So uh, Ben, anything else before we wrap it up? Nope. A really big series against the Brewers. And as you said, Ben, uh, features some really fun pitching matchups and i i think it is a great litmus test and should be a lot of fun i'm looking forward to it absolutely it would be great if next week when we check in we're talking about like well now that they're back in the wild card race how do they keep it going so we'll uh, we'll hope that we hope that we can get there and uh yeah with that we'll see you guys next week this has been another cardinals off day